This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I wonder if, over the course of the interview with uh, Doug McLean, author of Draft Day, along with Scott Morrison, in the course of the conversation at the top of the hour here with Doug, if he'll mention how his Columbus Blue Jackets almost, almost drafted on St. Kopitar, but chose otherwise and left him for the Los Angeles Kings. Oh. What can we do with a hockey player from Slovenia? Okay, uh, welcome back to the program. As I mentioned, Doug McLean coming up top of the hour. Thomas Hickey, bottom of hour two. We'll talk about the New York Islanders. In the meantime, to talk about all things West Coast hockey, most specifically tonight, uh, the Los Angeles Kings with Pierre-Luc Dubois returning to the Winnipeg market to face off against Winnipeg Jets. Jonathan Davis joins me now. Mr. West Coast hockey himself. Um, from the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast, also from Ice Cap on NHL Network Radio. JD, how are you, pal? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. So, um, Murat Atesh in The Athletic had some interesting yeah. comments. Um, I'm sure you've read it. Um, pretty yeah. re- as, re- as revealing as Pierre-Luc Dubois was willing to go about what happened with him in Columbus, what happened with him and John Tortorella, uh, what happened with the Winnipeg Jets, how he finds himself now playing with the Los Angeles Kings, etc. And essentially, J.D., it comes down to this. As I read between the lines on a lot of it, it's essentially, look, this is my life, and I have a finite amount of time to, uh, to play in the National Hockey League. And as much as I can, I'm going to try to do things my way and do what I want while I'm here, knowing that in a game of hockey, your career might be over the next day. Uh, but even if it's not, I don't have a ton of time in the NHL in my life. Do you read, it, do you read his comments the exact same way? I do. And I think that if we were in any other profession, you know, work-life balance, you know, Elliot referenced it when he was on with you. I mean, it's very important for anybody. So, you yeah. know, on that premise alone, I have no issue with what he has decided to do. Look, coming to Los Angeles, Jeff, for me, it, it you know, he's coming to a team that is a definitely a playoff contender. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talent up front. And, Jeff, it's a soft, it's a soft landing from just a work standpoint. I mean, it's a pretty easy market to play in. You know, there's no media scrutiny out here. You're playing in Southern California. There's a lot of benefits for, uh, for, you know, an NHL player to want to be in Los Angeles. So what you're saying is cowardly hockey players go to L.A. because they can hide. Am I reading what you're saying right here? You're calling them cowards. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> but remember, Barry Trotz had the line in Nashville. We want players who want to play here, not retire here. And I'm not saying that that's the case, yeah. but I just look, Jeff. There's no question. I mean, look, you know, this is not this is not a tough hockey market to play in. We, you know, there's very there's a very few amount of people that cover Kings games in Los Angeles, and there are very, there are fewer people that ask tough questions. Uh, well, let's ask a couple of them here. Um, one, I am curious your thoughts on how good you think this team is, and two. Everybody's pointing to the goaltending and saying that's going to be the problem for the Los Angeles Kings. Um, you know, God bless uh, the pair, Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot. But if you're going to circle one area where if this team falls down, that's where it's going to happen. That seems to be the area that everybody is circling. Do you share the same? Well, yeah, I think that it's very fair. And, you know, I think that was the, that was the big question coming into the season. You know, I asked Todd McClellan after the game on Saturday night, you know, I know it's only two games. Give me one thing that you're, you're, you're happy about and one thing you're not. And he said, well, one thing I'm happy about is that, you know, hey, we gave up 19 shots to the Carolina Hurricanes on, on Saturday night. But what he also didn't say is that they gave up five goals on those 19 shots. Yeah. You, know, that's, that's a, you know, they've had to score, you know, six goals to win two games, and they've lost them both. And there's enough offense here. I mean, okay, they, got, they were held to two by Colorado, but – Ultimately, it was bad goaltending. You know, Cam Talbot didn't do him any favors against Colorado, and Phoenix Copley didn't do him any more favors. And so, you know, this is the question. This is why I say they're a playoff contender. They, they're not a cup contender with those two goalies. And, may, you know, maybe they're better, the best goalie, and the guy who some people in the Kings organization shared with me had the best training camp is playing in Ontario, and that's David Riddick. And that's still not a cup contending goalie in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, that 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 it, this team seems to be ripe for some type of goaltending deal, uh, goaltending trade by by trade deadline. Um, I don't know at which point you start to make up your mind about your goaltending. Uh, I know a lot of people already have. Um, look, it's it's early in the season, but already you know knees are knocking together about the goaltenders in Edmonton, and I guess safe thing safe to say, uh, same thing here for the Los Angeles Kings. Um, Goaltending aside, how do you see the LA Kings? Like, how good is this team? Can this team be? You know, you look down the middle, and if you believe that's where you win the Stanley Cup, you go from Kopitar to Dubois to Dano. Uh, it looks really good. Um, compare and contrast to a very tough Pacific division, where do you see the Los Angeles Kings fitting in? Well, I, I think they're good enough to be in the top three. I mean, you know, look, Dubois becomes, you know, is the X factor. You know, you know, this is a guy that, that you know, they pay a lot of money to, to a guy that's never cracked 70 points. They are stronger down the middle than they've yeah. ever, you know, than they've been since the cup winning days. There's no question about that. They are better with Dubois, Deno, and Kopitar. Deno had an off year last year. He needs to be better. Uh, you know, Kevin Fiala, Todd McClellan said there's, there's risk and reward with his game. But there's no question that the, the reward part, he's really good. You know, uh, the blue line is, is good. Uh, there's a, it's a good hockey team, Jeff. It's just a team that, you know, yeah. the goaltending, I think, you know, they, Rob Blake made a big investment in Pierre-Luc Dubois. You know, he felt it was more important to shore, up, shore them up down the middle than it was in net. And, you know, they don't have a goalie that's under contract after this year. You know, they, they trade for Corpusalo last year, and, you know, he's their goalie in the playoffs, but he's gone. So, uh, I, look, I like mm-hmm. this team, but I'm concerned. The one thing I will say, Jeff, the one thing that, I, that I've seen through two games that excites me, and you and I have had conversations, we've had texts about Quinton Byfield. I really like the way he's yeah. played. He looks like a, he, is, he has been a much smarter player in the two games that I've watched him watch so far than I saw through most of last year. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I, I see growth in the early going. And even though he's not playing center and something that I've harped on before, I like what I see in, in his progression through two, and, and I think that's something to be excited about for the LA Kings. Um, I, let me pick up on Byfield here in a couple of seconds, but let me circle back to the goaltending. Yeah. This is something that was out there and whispered and rumored and ultimately didn't happen, um, and we wonder about it this year, and that is could there be a Carter Hart deal on the horizon somewhere for the Los Angeles Kings. Like last year at deadline, like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like we were all ready for a, a couple of different things. Um, we were ready for the Washington Capitals uh, to grab a big defenseman. And, you know, the rumor was Logan Stanley in Winnipeg. And we were all waiting to see if the Los Angeles Kings were going to be able to make a deal for UC Soros of Nashville. Neither thing happened. Um, but I, I do wonder if this year's conversation about net mining is going to revolve around Carter Hart's. Uh, and a lot of that is because the Philadelphia Flyers, A, are in rebuild mode. B, they could get a lot for Carter Hart. And C, they have a lot of goaltenders that are on the horizon, starting with Sammy Erson right now. Have have the whispers started about Carter Hart yet? I, I haven't heard those whispers, but I think that, you know, if you're, you're, look, if you're the L.A. Kings, look, the big problem in L.A. is there, there's no cap space. I mean, they're one of those teams that's playing short, Jeff, and we'll – continue to play short many times throughout the year. So, you know, uh, it's can they find a way to make it work under the salary cap? That's the biggest question. Look, they'd be better. They would be saving, I think, a quarter of a million dollars on the cap if they sent Phoenix Copley down and brought David Riddick up. This is a team that's got to find a way to be very creative under the salary cap. So no matter what the goalie is, right now it's, okay, how, how do we make it work financially? That's the biggest problem. Uh, Quentin Byfield, uh, if he plays in Los Angeles, uh, it's going to be a long time before he gets a shot at being a center. Uh, I mentioned Kopitar, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Philip Deneau. How do you see the uh, the future, both immediate and long-term, working out for the former number 2 overall pick? Well, okay, long-term, based upon the contract. You know, Kopitar signed a two-year extension, so it's at least three yep. years before Quentin Byfield finds his way as as one of the top three centers on this team. Um, so right now he is their top line left winger and he's doing, you know, and, and it looks good. 
Uh, and so right now, and, and maybe there's no crime. Look, you, you talked about it, you know, numerous times on your show about, you know, guys who were drafted as centers and have moved to the wing. Uh, you know, 100%. So, look, 100%. Right. And so the way this team has decided to go out and spend money and, and acquire players, you know, for if Quentin Byfield is their top-line winger for a while, then I don't. it, it doesn't matter if, if he can put up, you know, 20 goals this year. That's great. Uh, so we'll and we'll see what happens. I think it's reevaluate in three years. Right now, be the be the best top line winger that he can be, and and he'll benefit the Los mm-hmm. Angeles Kings. And you know, so that's what I see short term and long term. You know, JD, I talked to someone uh, with the Kings organization uh, not too long ago before the season began, and I said, which which young player. Uh, are the Los Angeles Kings most excited about, and, and which young player are you most excited about? And this person told me Alex Laferriere right away, like right away, bam. And one of my early highlights is watching him fight Logan O'Connor, not necessarily the fight itself or what he did in it, but his parents in the st- family yeah. in the stands, like they were going banana sandwich watching the kid fight. I've never, I don't know that I've seen, well, maybe the Kachuk family, but I don't know that I've seen a family <laughs> as excited to watch their kid fight as his was that night. And again, the game against Colorado. Yeah, it, it was a great moment. And, and look, and Jeff, I talked to, somebody uh you know during training camp and when they when they saw you know Laferriere playing with Fiala and Dubois they were like this is a great fit. Uh this kid can play. He doesn't yeah. look lost. And while he didn't you know contribute on the score sheet, you know, in game number two, he, he didn't make bad plays. Like he is he is legit, you know. Uh and I keep you know you keep wanting to say Lafreniere and you think he's French and the you know kid that went to Harvard and uh, you know, he was a goal scorer there. He had 21 goals, and he mirrored yeah. with 21 assists in his last year. He's a good hockey player. So I think, yeah, the future is, is yep. definitely bright. There's no, you know, he's he's one guy. The other guy, Jeff, that I'm really excited to watch, and I hope, you know, that he gets an oppor- you know, more of an opportunity. And Rob Blake's talked about it in the past. Got to find room for Jordan Spence. Uh, this is a kid that yes. has worked so hard at every level to get to where he is. May not have. You know, the same talent, you know, Brant Clark gets a lot of attention in Los Angeles. Jordan Spence is up here because he works. He works really hard. He's really good, and he can anchor that power play. I'm really excited for the future of Jordan Spence. It seems if they've moved out some bodies, knowing that they have to make room for this guy in the lineup this year specifically. I do want to ask you, we'll finish up on this one. I know we spent the whole time talking about the Kings here. I want to talk about the Ducks and the Sharks, and we'll save that for another time. Um... What are your thoughts on Brant Clark? Like, we talked a lot last year about Shane Wright and all the different addresses he had. There was a uh, an NHL address. There was an AHL address. And then it's off to the World Juniors. And then it's back to OHL. And he gets a, a trade to, to OHL Windsor. Uh, and then it's back to Co- Coachella Valley. And it's a playoff run. Like, the kid was never able to really plant roots anywhere. It was a, a challenging season on and off the ice for Shane Wright. You can say the same thing for Brant Clark, whether it's NHL, AHL, World Juniors, back to AHL. Like, there wasn't one place he was uh, able to let, you know, cement harden around him at all. What is, uh, what is the team's outlook for Brant Clark this year? Well, I, I think it's more time, you know, get seasoned in the AHL. I mean, you know, there's a lot of pressure on this kid to be the next Drew Doughty for the LA Kings. And, and he's not good. He's not Drew Doughty, not right now. Like you, you know, he was never that player yeah. at 18, uh, you know, so I think there's, there's been pressure, but Jeff, I think, you know, the other thing is, is that there's been issues off the ice with Grant Clark that need, you know, that I think that, that's needed to be corrected. I think that was some of the issues that saw him get sent down to Ontario this year. There was definitely some mystery around him not going to Australia with the team. They called it an injury. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, Jeff, that it was Rob Blake that, that made the announcement and not Todd McClellan that made the announcement about Brand Clark. Maybe that's semantics, but I just kind of mm-hmm. wonder if, you know, there were other reasons why he didn't go to Australia with the team. Um, so I think, you know, there's no question he has skill, but, you know, there, there's other issues away from, from playing hockey that need to, that he needs to work on. But if he can... Uh, you know, the LA Kings have got themselves another gem on the blue line. 
They really do. Uh, no denying the skill. And you saw last year after the World Juniors when he went back to uh, to OHL Barry. Um, it was like he was playing. He was he was playing like in a, in, a, in a in a beer league. Like he was an NHLer amongst beer league players. That that's how much he dominated, as you well know. Uh, JD, always good pal. You uh, enjoy the games tonight, specifically the Kings facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. We'll uh, we'll check back soon, bud. All right, take care. Thanks for having me. There he is, uh, Jonathan Davis, West Coast Hockey. He is uh, part of a really cool podcast called the uh, Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. Also hosts Ice Cap. That's a great overnight show on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. As it is time now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. Bet Local. Which game? There's a couple of doozies here. Do you have your eyeballs on tonight? It's the one that we all have to stay up late for tonight, and that is the Stars at the Golden Knights. Uh, puck line is Golden Knights minus one and a half. The under is 12-4-1 yeah. in the last 17 meetings between these two teams. Both clubs undefeated. Yes, it's early for Dallas, I understand. Uh, but here's one. Dallas has won four straight matchups between these two teams, including all three last year. And in each of those games, the under has hit with Vegas scoring a combined five goals in those four games. Pause this game for one second. There's a couple of late-night beauties here. Um, Colorado and Seattle. Yep. Uh, as a late night beauty for everyone in the East here, that's it, right. Like knocked us out in the first round, and Seattle has struggled out of the gate, oh two and one, and the Abs are a perfect two and zero so far, and are, are looking really good. Um, but back to this one, um, the Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights. You know what I was thinking about a while ago? How many? And this is a compliment to the Vegas Golden Knights, and Dallas is one of those teams. You know, we always talk about, oh, this is a candidate for Game of the Year. Oh, this is a candidate for Game of the Year. How many of those games involve the Vegas Golden Knights? You know, we always talk about how styles make fights in boxing. Styles make games in hockey as well. And Vegas has glorious games, like game of the year candidates with a number of teams. Minnesota might be top of the bunch. Mm -hmm. You see a Vegas-Minnesota game, park that. Dallas, who they'll face off against tonight, those games, gems. Los Angeles Kings, those games are awesome. Vegas and Colorado, those games are special. Vegas and San Jose, there is a particular brand of nastiness between those two teams specifically. Yep. This is a team that has great games with a lot of different opponents. I don't know if there's a team in the NHL that has as many great games against as many different opponents as Vegas tonight should be another installment that was line change presented by sports interaction your homegrown sports book bet local doug mclean author meh, meh, meh. next on the merrick show everything raptors before and after the games the raptor show with will lou subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts For Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. Goofy little segment, right? Glad to be getting back to it. So this is a Random Fact of the Day. Although, you know, it seems as if the last couple have had kind of themes to them. Mud Brunito the other day. How'd you like that one? Today is going to revolve around the draft. Because in a couple of moments, we're going to welcome to the program Doug McClain. Coach, broadcaster, manager, Checks business card, author. That's right. The book is called Draft Day, and it's awesome. And one of the best things about it is, like, I've, I've read this thing. Uh, I read it a week and a half ago, and as I'm reading it, I'm reading it, and I'm hearing Doug McLean's voice. It's awesome. It's a great book, and there's some great stories in here, some insightful stuff. You learn a lot of things. Anyway, so today's random fact is going to revolve around the draft and the 1990 draft, and we'll get into this with uh, with Doug in a couple of moments. That was uh, at BC Place. First overall pick, Owen Nolan of the Quebec Nordiques. Vancouver takes Peter Nedved, number two. The Red Wings take Keith Primo. The Flyers take Mike Ricci, and the Penguins take Yaramir Yager. Now, one of the things that I always wonder about is... Who is the last skater in the NHL from each draft? And there is one person still skating in the NHL from the 1990 draft. Well, Yager is still skating, but not in the NHL. 
I don't want Yager to ever retire. I know that means he'll never get in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but I don't want him to ever retire. I want him to keep playing. The one person who's still skating in the NHL, get off on a technicality here, is Wes McCauley, the referee who was drafted in the eighth round of the Detroit Red Wings from Michigan State University, Wes McCauley, from the 1990 draft, still skating in the National Hockey League. And with that, we'll bring aboard Doug McClain, who adds writer, author, if I shall, uh, to an already impressive resume. Doug, how are you today, pal? Perfect. I'm perfect. I was couldn't I couldn't for the life of me figure out who that skater was. But <laughs> when you said it, it hit home because because I'll tell you why. Because I was with the Red Wings. And I used yes. to go to Michigan State and and watch him from a player development perspective. I was assistant GM of the Red Wings, and I used to go and watch West play yep. at Michigan State. And as I used to yell to him from the bench when I was coaching, you're a lot better referee than you were a player. But then I started <laughs> to say you're a lot better. Then, then as time went on, I used to yell at him, you're a lot better player than you're a referee. <laughs> so I switched. <laughs> yep. We uh we, we know of your lo- your long-standing love of officials around the NHL. Well, let me jump in with with one quick story then. And and by the way, first of all, this is a great book, man. I remember when I, I talked to Scott Morrison about this at the uh the Montreal draft, and I was pretty excited that you and Scomo were getting together on this one. There's great stories, um some really insightful um uh, areas of hockey are covered here. Uh, with some facts that uh, a lot of people might not know, namely some of the compensation that other teams offered for Eric Lindros. We're going to get into Lindros here in a couple of moments and how he changed uh, a lot of things. But that 1990 draft, you're with the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, Nick Polano and Jim Devolano really, and this this is a long-standing feud, really never got along well to be kind, Doug. That was uh, that was a bad mix, and your Detroit Red Wings ended up taking Keith Primo, uh, third overall, Niagara Falls Flyers of the OHL. Ended up having a really excellent career as well. I know it started slow, but really ended up having a really good career. Um, how much, though, and you talk about this in the book, did Nick Polano want the Detroit Red Wings and try to encourage Jim Devolano to do so, to take Yager third instead of Primo? Well, it's funny. I talked to Jimmy D about this a couple of weeks ago. Jimmy D and I had a conversation. He phoned me to tell me he couldn't make it to the the book launch, that he had a board of governors meeting and tied up with that. But anyway, he said, don't worry, Doug, I'm going to buy the book. I'm going to buy the book, though. And I thought, oh, okay, great. But anyway, look, it it went on for a couple of years after that draft, and Nick used to go by Jimmy D's door, and he'd slip Yager's scouting report underneath Jimmy's door. And then Jimmy would come next door to me, <laughs> and he would say, that son of a so-and-so sticking that scouting report. But here, Jimmy Jimmy D loved Primo, and he also really loved Yager. But he was a little bit yeah. nervous about going going to Europe on that pick. He, he thought Primo was going to be a big horse. And look, uh, both yeah. of them ended up being right. But you know what Jimmy D said to me? Because we were talking about Brule and Kopitar and, and, you know, the picks I had, Yerdev and so on. And he said, you know, Doug, imagine if we would have taken Yager with that pick. Just imagine if oh. we would have taken Yager with that pick. And, and that's not a knock on Keith. But, uh, you know, Keith yeah. had a 15-year career, and Yager was just a superstar, to say the least. Uh, and when he ever retires, and who knows when that's going to be, the Hockey Hall of Fame yeah, exactly. awaits um, Yager. You know, they're, they're, I mean, again, like drafts are crazy. I, I always, and I've always sympathized with you around drafts, and I sympathize with all managers around the draft because you're the one as a manager that gets hung with the pick. And now you do get, you know, celebrated when you when you make a great pick, but you're going on what your scouts tell you. Like, you're not able to go watch, you know, an entire body's worth of work, you know, watch five years of a player. Maybe you'll, you know, read some scouting reports. Maybe you'll see the player once or twice. Usually, when a general manager shows up at a game, the scouts close their books and say, well, this is great because he's going to watch one game and make up his mind. I've watched this guy for five years. I always felt that it was unfair in a lot of ways 
to pin picks on the general manager, despite the fact that those are the ones making the picks, Doug. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, look, I I always felt that, you know, and and I when I was writing this book, I certainly didn't want to blame my guys. You know, and I had no interest in doing that. But my feeling always was the buck stopped with me. I, I was the guy that was in charge. And if my scouts made a selection, it was my selection as well. You know, and I and and I had lots of conversation about our picks. I didn't see them anywhere close to as much as our scouts saw them. But I always felt, okay, I'm making the selection, their advice. But, you know, it, it goes with me, simply as that. Same as, same as look, I, I got lots of credit for taking Chris Russell in the third round, Adam McQuay in the, in, in the second round, Dorsett in yeah. the seventh round, Mathot in the seventh round. But I take a lot of heat. As Nick Kiprio said to me so eloquently on his show a few years ago, what do you think it cost you taking Brule instead of Copenhagen? And I said, probably, and I put this quote in the book, probably about $30 million personally is what that pick cost me. <laughs> because, because I'd still be a GM if I would have taken Copenhagen maybe, you know. But that, look, it was a re- and I explained yeah. that pick in the, in the book, how I, how I, uh, you know, how that selection came about. But anyway, it's, but I got I to gotta tell you one funny story about Scott Morrison before we go. You're talking about him, you know, working with me. So yeah. I, I had the first, when I started doing the idea of the book from Simon Schuster, I jotted down what I thought chapters would be, you know, 14, 12, 14 chapters. And then they started making little notes. Then I wrote six yeah. chapters. And I sent it to Scott, 25,000 words on my iPad. So I sent it to Scott. The next morning, he phones me. He said, uh, Doug, do you not use paragraphs when you write? It came out in one straight line. <laughs> <laughs> so I phoned my daughter and I said, Mackenzie, Mackenzie, why did my, I put it in paragraphs. Why didn't it come out in paragraphs? She said, Dad, you have to change the settings on your iPad when you're sending it. So poor <laughs> Scott gets that and he thinks, what the hell have I got myself into here with this guy? <laughs> so that was some of the Sound fun like a big David, Fos- David Foster Wallace fan. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun doing it. Really, we did. But I, let me, I it's got an, one It's an excellent story. read. I, I got one yeah. great story. I love I love the John Ferguson uh, senior story that's in the book in the Joe Thornton draft where he all year long Fergie senior kept saying to his San Jose staff, "I want Ole Okunen. I want Ole Okunen with the second pick. I want Okunen really bad. I love this guy." Then he's at the Asperia Hotel in Finland, Helsinki, Finland, where we all hung out in the basement of the Asperia Hotel. It was a great bar. Fergie's there at 2 or 2.30 in the morning. He sees through a cloud of smoke. He sees Ole Jokin and shuffling up on the dance floor. And he goes over and says, hey, kid, you should be <laughs> home in bed. You should be home in bed. And in not such a nice language, Jokin said, beat it, yeah. old man. Anyway, Fergie yep. goes back to his staff and <laughs> says, we are not taking Ole Jokinen. I don't care how much I love Ole Jokinen. We're not taking Ole Jokinen. And they settled on Patrick Marlowe with the second pick. Yeah, who beat Cody and proved to proved to be uh, an out, an outstanding pick. But but it is it is amazing how much you know p- picks can turn on one thing. Like in, in the book, you write about like there's a there's a segment on on Braden Point with the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Lightning, and you know I know I've told the story before, and I'm I'm not going to say who it is. I don't want to humiliate anybody, but I know that there's there's one team. Um, that passed on Braden Point because of his force plate results at the Combine. Yeah. And there were, on this team, like their Western Hockey League scouts were screaming and begging for this team to take Braden Point, but one of the people that was sort of in charge and had a lot of sway at the table said there's never been a good NHLer whose force plate results were as poor as Braden Point's were, were not going to waste a pick on this player. Like there, there are like you know the dynamic of the table, and again, like to your point, the buck stops with the manager. But there are a lot of people that try to grab the ears of the manager before making a pick. Can you describe to our audience how that dynamic works, Doug? Well, you know what what hap- what happens is you know you go by the list. 
typically. And, you know, you go in with a 100-man list, and you get to certain points where people are really close, and you you have conversation. You really do. But typically, you don't sway from the list unless something strange happens. So, yeah, you have lots of debate. I had my biggest debate used to be in the seventh round where I had the regional guys clamoring for wanting one of their guys, not so much in the early rounds, but clamoring in the seventh round. And that's when I, I said in the book about phoning Kenny Holland and Timmy Murray and saying, hey, listen, you flip sevenths with me. Give me an extra seventh, and you can. I'll give you a round of double eagle, my owner's golf course. And, of course, Timmy and Kenny <laughs> love golf, so they flip with me every year. You know? <laughs> so so we, we used, that's where the clamoring was, but not so much in the early rounds. But, you yeah. know, it's funny. Listen to this. I, this is Kevin Sheveldayev has done a really good job, and I really like Chevy. But I, in the Lawson Crouch draft, he had the 17th yep. pick. And he desperately wanted to move up to get Lawson Kroos, Peterborough kid, right? Big kid out yep. of Peterborough. And he tried and tried to move up. Couldn't move up, and he was so disappointed. And at 17, he had to settle for Kyle Connor. Some things <laughs> worked out pretty good when you can't make the pick. Uh, right? yeah, so, that was, you know, it's funny how it goes, that was... you know? Yeah, that that was you. The Boston Bruins had those three picks in a row, and then the three picks right after right. were Barzell, Connor, and Thomas Shabbat. Ooh, that's yep. a, I know, unbelievable. That's a, that's a t- well, you know, you know, you know what it does, though, Doug. I'm always curious your thoughts on this one. You know, there's a an old saying, and sometimes it's true, and sometimes it's not. But I'm curious if you have a thought on it. You know, if you miss on your first round pick, it sets your franchise back two years. That's always been the saying. Do you believe that? And if not, like when you miss on your first rounder, how much does it set a team back? You know what? It, it, I think if you're a, a lower rung team, it can really set you back. If you're a top team and you miss, you know, you, you can probably get away with it, but eventually it catches up to you. And I mean, I think to our yeah. misses, and when I say Brule and Jaredev, and it's really unfair, Brule had some tough injuries, and Jaredev just had some mental challenges you know those two guys honest to god i i thought they were going to be superstars in the nhl especially after watching brule at the memorial cup in moncton a year after we drafted him and we sent him back and watched him in moncton how good he was and i and jared i've never seen a pure talent like this guy he had 27 goals as a as a kid early in the nhl and it just, he couldn't handle yeah. the whole mental part of it. So, you know, it, it affected Columbus. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's no doubt about it. And I, and I, and look, as I said in the book, I wish I would have taken Kopitar. I wish I had it to do over again. You don't get to do it over again, you know? And I, and yeah. Kopitar went 11. Like I had a fan send me a note the other day, Doug, I know Columbus fans are upset with you taking Brule over Kopitar. We're upset about – we ended up with Brian Lee in that draft who never played a game, I don't think. Never you played. Know? And Jack yeah. Skille went ahead. It's, I mean, there was umpteen of them. There was other geniuses that missed Copadere besides me, you know? So, anyway. Let me just bring in one more point about, about Brule. You and I have talked about this before. And I remember watching Brule's career out, out west. And you'll recall, we all recall, like when he was playing out there – um, they were calling him Sidney Crosby West. Like right. this is this is not a joke. Like we look back on it now and say, oh, okay, how can you yeah. confuse those two? And as great as Crosby was in Ramuski, and he was like ridiculous. People were saying yeah. in the in the West were saying, hold on, we've got Crosby West here in Gilbert Brule. Like that's no that's no exaggeration, Doug. A hundred percent. And I remember going out to the prospects game that year, and Sid couldn't come because of a you know, a nagging injury or whatever. And, and uh, I watched that prospect game and I'm telling you, it was frightening watching Brule, how good he was. It really, like people kept telling me, maybe he's going to be the next Steve Eiserman. Maybe he had a chance to be the next Steve Eiserman type of mm-hmm. player. But anyway, uh, you know, I didn't quite see the Eiserman look, but anyway, I, I, you know what, it's just the way it goes. I, I, you know, a couple of those picks and I, and, and it used to tick me off. As you know, I used to whine all the time at Sportsnet about it. But I'll never forget when when Montreal took Carey Price. I thought for sure walking to that draft with Boydie 
that Montreal were going to take Brule at five and we would take Kopitar at six. Yep. That's what I thought was going to happen. And when they stepped up and took Price, we had Price. I went back and looked at that draft list. We had Price 22nd on that mm-hmm. list, and most teams had Price in the second wow. round. So then Pierre, mm-hmm. Mag- uh, McQuer- Pierre Maguire, the resident genius of hockey, was on the broadcast with TSN, and he goes ballistic. And, and this is all in the yeah. book, his quote, about how could Montreal do this to their fans? How could they take Carey Price? They've got UA and they got all these guys. How could they do this? This is a, a disgrace and all that. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then three years later, I'm listening to him on the air ripping me for taking Brulee. So, that, you know, things come around and go around, you know? So, anyway, <laughs> I don't know where he is now. I haven't I, heard I love- him lately, but... <laughs> I, anyway. I I loved I love how you I love how you're still holding on to it. I really do love it, Doug. I really do love it. Oh, um, hold it until I die. Hey, you know Hang on. <laughs> well, that's what that's what Berkey told me. He tells his kids, he's like, "Look, I'm Irish. I expect you to hold on to my grudges when I die." Like that's the way it works in this so, family. Um, oh, I love Berkey. I had Berkey in the book a lot. He, he said when I was writing the book, yes. "Wow." Well, obviously, you'll put the greatest trade in NHL draft history in the book. And I said, yeah, Berkey, I've got your yep. your Sedin pick in there. But Sedin's. I also have your 99 draft where you had 11 picks and only one guy played one period. I've got that in there, too, Berkey. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, listen, you, <laughs> hang on. you and Brian, you and Brian, when Brian was in Anaheim and you were in Columbus, uh, you and I have talked about this before, um, the Sergei Fedorov trade, and there was a, a sidebar piece to the trade, which led to, correct me if I'm wrong, the creation of the no-move clause. Up until then, we'd seen no trade clauses, but there was one piece of that trade that led into the advent of the no-move clause. You care to share that story? Yeah, I called Todd Marchand. I wanted Fedorov because I desperately wanted Fedorov to come in and mentor Jaredev. I thought it was a chance that Fedorov would be able to help the kid and turn him into the player I thought he should have been. So I, you know, I make a big move to get Fedorov. Berkey was ready to move on. And I I, I called Todd Marchand and I said, I'm trading you to uh, Anaheim. And he looked at me and said, "Uh, no, I'm not going. I've got a no trade and I'm not going or no move or no trade and I'm not going. I no said, trade. okay, you're not going. Yeah, no trade. I, I'm not going. I said, okay. So then I, he leaves the office, and I put him on waivers. And uh, and Berkey was supposed to pick him up, and Berkey didn't. <laughs> so I phoned Berkey. I said, what just happened, Berkey? You were supposed to pick him. He said, hey, Doug, 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 the league's onto it. The league's onto it. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I said, Berkey, I'm putting him back on waivers tomorrow. You better take him. That was, anyway, he took them, he I, took them I, the know, next day. It, it, it's so funny because we were all like, uh, until I got to get in trouble. <laughs> oh, I, it was anyway. funny too because until I, I started working with you, I had always wondered about that story because I remember watching that and I'm like, why is he on waivers again? He was just on waivers yesterday. No one's going to claim him. And then, surely, oh. you know, very quietly, Anaheim puts in the was, claim. And I had always wondered about it. And I'm sitting in the stands, and Chris McFarland comes up to me. He was our hockey ops guy. And he comes up to yeah. me. I'm sitting and he said, uh, Berkey didn't take Marchand. And I said, what? He didn't? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, that. And then the league investigated. There was nothing really to investigate. The league investigated, and then they came with the no-movement clause. That's, yeah. a, that's how it all came about. So, Anyway, Berkey and I had some fun together, and actually, Berkey and I have been laughing about the book. He, by the way, he, he must like it. He ordered ten copies, or he's just looking for cheap uh, Christmas presents for people. I don't know why, why, but he ordered ten. <laughs> so I'm pleased. <laughs> it, it, uh, you should be, because this is an excellent book. It's called Draft Day. Um, speaking with Doug McLean, uh, he wrote this alongside Scott Morrison, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, How hockey teams pick winners or get left behind. Draft Day is the name of the book. A couple of minutes left with you here, Doug. And, and one thing I want you to come clean on, true or false, because uh, I'm always fascinated with origin stories of expansion teams. True or false, when you were putting together the look or part of the group that's putting together the look for the Columbus Blue Jackets, 
the red pants was a total lift from the New York Rangers. True or false? True. And I, I just liked the look of them. And I just thought it would be a, you know, a cool look for us. I didn't really care if we were stealing it from the Rangers, but you know. But anyway, I, I sort of liked the look, and I hated our logo, but it was better than the logo they yeah. gave me when I first went to Columbus, which was the Woody Woodpecker logo, Stinger. And we yeah. changed it to the CBJ, <laughs> and then thank God we got it back to the Ohio flag eventually. But anyway, uh, yeah. look, look, it was. It was fun in Columbus, and it was a great town, and we had a lot of laughs there. And I, I have so many great memories. But the, the quote of the book, the most famous quote of the book is Clark coming home from school when he was nine. First week he was in school in Columbus, and he, he said, Dad, hockey's not going to work here. They hate hockey. They love football, and they hate hockey here. I said, Clark, we better not say that anymore. we got to make it work, man. <laughs> So he had fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's some great stories from that time. And I, what I am curious about, too, is, and I'll, I'll reference Brian Burke again um, in this, in this uh, as a preface to this, this question. I remember asking Brian about uh, his first trades. And he talked to me about, um, this would have been the Sean Burke, Bobby Holik deal, although he, I think he made the Kiprios deal first before this one. But his first really major one was the Sean Burke deal. Bobby Holik was, was part of I think Eric Weinrich was part of it as well. And he talked about how he didn't have, like, you were just the general manager. There was no assistant GMs and other people, player person. There was no one else to talk to. And he said, yep. you know, he would pick up the phone to make the deal and then hang up right away. Get nervous, you go off, go for a walk, come back into his office, pick up the phone, start dialing. Ah, not ready to make that make the deal yet. And he went sort of back and forth, back and forth. I gotta call Lou Lamarillo, gotta call Lou Lamarillo. And he said it took him a while until he built up the nerve to make his first trade. Do you have a similar experience? Like, did you ever have I don't know, misgivings or nervous about maybe, you know, the early days of running a hockey team and, and making trades because you, you needed like an audience to, to run it off of first. Like, did you ever have an experience like Berkey had? One of my first trades was, was uh, in Columbus when I traded Kevin Adams, who we'd picked up in the expansion draft from Toronto. And we really liked Kevin. Yep. And I traded him to Carolina, I believe it was, or, or Florida, I should say, for Ray Whitney. And, you know, I thought it was a great trade. Turned out, you know, Witt came and he became 70-plus point guy for us and a captain and really had a a good run in Columbus. My owner was so ticked off at me for making that trade. And that was in the year one. Mm -hmm. So ticked off because Kevin Adams went to Miami of Ohio. Like, I cared where he went. I wanted Witt. And the owner was so upset. (laughs) How could you trade an Ohio kid? I said, he's not from Ohio. We yeah. just played at Miami of Ohio. Anyway, we had lots lots of fun over <laughs> stuff like that. But anyway, but I'll tell you what, there's a great thing. You mentioned the Lindros thing. There's a great thing in one of the Lindros offers when, when Cliff offered Gilmore and Clark. Unbelievable yes. leaf offer. And he phoned yes. Pierre Paget at 3, 3.30 in the morning. He said, I'm in a sweat. I'm sweating in bed here, Pierre. <laughs> I can't make this trade. i got to pull this offer. <laughs> Pierre was telling me about Cliff phoning him at three thirty in the morning to pull the offer, and he said, "Hey, Cliff, no worries. You've been a great mentor to me. I don't mind if you pull the tra- the offer." So, and that's a great chat. Pierre Peget kept every the- note of every conversation. He gave all of it to Scott and I when we talked to him in Austria. Oh, it was unbelievable. The- this, this this is this is so good. Like this is one of my favorite chapters. Um, is the Lindros stuff, and there is so much good. Like Ron McLean, uh, years ago, did a sort of deep dive and tried to find out every team and and what they offered. And there's some great stuff in here. You know, you mentioned the Maple Leafs offer. There was the Montreal offer, which was oh. Guy Carboneau, uh, Eric Desjardins, Sylvain Lefebvre, Mike McPhee, Patrick Waugh, Jim Campbell, Craig Darby. There would have been the uh, the uh, the obligatory fifty million dollars to Marcelo Boo yeah. as well. Like th- right. th- this changes the le- like all these trades profoundly changed the league, Doug. Like, I love this chapter. This is great. Yeah, I thought it was. And when I phoned Pierre and I said, Pierre, we really, and I, we, we've always been good friends, Maritime Dalhousie connection. And I remember phoning him and said, Pierre, we got to have the Lindros in this book. And he said, Doug, I have kept every note and I've never told anybody any of this, but I, I'd love to have it in the, in your book. So 
you know, it was unbelievable. Uh, Scott and I listening to Pierre go through every detail. And he said on the Patrick Montreal, and he said, Serge was really upset with Patrick at this time. And that's why he wanted mm-hmm. to make the deal. And it's sort of, you know, sort of, and Pierre was a little nervous about upsetting Serge, but I said, hey, it's not really upsetting him, I don't think. So anyway, I thought it was a great chapter. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, and I'm glad that you guys put in there about uh, the reason why Lindros didn't want to go to Quebec, and it was all about Obu. It wasn't about the French people. It wasn't about the team. It was about Obu. And I think one of the sidebars, all of it is, you know, with Eric Lindros, he add fifty million dollars to any sale, and he didn't want to be a piece of that. He didn't want to be a yeah, piece and, of putting an extra fifty million dollars into Marcel Obu's pocket. And what he really was upset about is. He was told that Obu told Dave Chambers to not win games, to, to intentionally yes. lose games so they would get that pick. And, and it, that bothered um, Eric. And you know what the greatest thing that, that Pierre said in the, in the chapter? Eric Lindros did not do one thing wrong in the entire negotiation. Nothing. He, he, he was a gentleman all the way through. But the key thing was... Pierre took Guy Lafleur into a meeting with Eric and tried to talk him into coming to Quebec. And he, and they walked out yeah. of the meeting and Guy looks at Pierre and said, he's not coming Pierre, So you better trade him. If I can't talk him into coming to Quebec, he's not coming. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool, but anyway, fun. You, you know, you know, what was wild Doug was the, the next year, um, the draft was in Montreal and Todd Warner gets selected fourth overall by the Quebec Nordiques, and he goes up to the stage, and he puts on the jersey, and the crowd erupts. And he yeah. turns to Don Meehan, and he says, you know, why are they going, why, like, I'm putting on a Nordiques jersey, and they're, they're applauding me. And he said, well, because of Lindros last year, he wouldn't put on the Quebec Nordiques jersey. You're the first Anglophone to come up to the stage and put up a Quebec Nordiques jersey one year yeah. later. Todd Warner gets like a hero's welcome in Montreal for putting on a Quebec Nordiques yeah. jersey. Yeah. Um, th- this book, Doug, is full of amazing stories, like just some, some great stuff in here. Uh, you've touched on just a, a few of them. Uh, the book is called Draft Day. Uh, my guest has been Doug McLean, who wrote this book alongside Scott Morrison, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Best of luck with the book, pal. By the way, how are things with you these days? Give our listeners an update for, for everybody who misses you around these parts. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sort of retired, and I'm, I'm doing uh, living in where I just got to Florida here this week. So we're down here seven months, and we're up in PEI, four and a half, and you know, I'm busy doing lots of real estate stuff on the side and just some hobbies and I'm having a great time. And, uh, you know, writing the book was like when they first phoned me, they said, do you want to do a book, Simon & Schuster? It was just after I left Sportsnet. And as I said in the mm-hmm. launch party, thank God Sportsnet fired me. I had time to write a book, you know. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> it was three years of, of work and it was fun. And I, I often thought of doing a, a book on my my NA, my my NHL stories from 30 years in the game, but I all I could get in this book was the draft story. So you know I've got a I got a few other stories still up my sleeve, but I won't be writing another book. So Scott doesn't have to worry about putting it into English. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one one last one last quick 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 story from me. Can you tell us the Steve Eiserman coaching? Story when he was a young player with the Detroit Red Wings. It's one of my favorites. Oh, it's unbelievable. So Stevie Y and I are shaving in the in the restroom after practice, and he looks at me and he said, uh, "Doug, I'm a I'm a pretty good player." Right? I said, "Stevie, you're a star. I mean, you're forty fifty goal guy. You're a star." And he said, "Then he starts. He goes, Brad Park, Harry Neal, Billy Day, Danny Belisle." Nick Polano, Jacques Demers, you and Brian Murray. Imagine if I just had one good coach, how good I could have been. <laughs> and I, I used to, and I mean, as I said in the book, I said I am, I am stuck. I was one of the first time in my life I was stuck for words. I didn't know what to say. You know? But anyway, Stevie was great. Yeah. He really was. But I had some. I give Stevie a few little shots in the book to get back at him. So we, you know. 
Well, I, oh, you, 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 you mentioned the part about how he said that uh, he, you put in, in the book how he, he mentioned that, uh, that Keith Primo would never play in the NHL, was never going to be a player. So that's, I think that's one of the shots that you're, uh, you're, you're talking about there. But it's a great book. I loved every moment of it. Uh, it's a quick page turner, some fascinating stories in here. Doug, thanks for so much for, for stopping by, and uh, good luck the rest of the season, and good luck with the book. Hey, thanks, man, and appreciate the support, having me on, and uh, good luck to you, man. Thank you, sir. There he is, uh, the great Doug McLean, uh, confirming, by the way, that uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets totally stole the red pants from the New York Rangers. But you know what? If I were Doug McLean, I would have done the exact same thing. And by the way, it was a drag last year when the Blue Jackets went away from the red pants and, and to the blues on the road. That was a real drag for me. I thought the red pants look was really good. But now we're getting into the minutia of hockey wardrobes. So that's usually my cue to stop. Uh, again, the book is called Draft Day. Doug McLean was my guest, uh, former NHL coach, Uh, former NHL general manager, former hockey broadcaster as well. This is an excellent read. I encourage you to pick it up. Or is it too early to start promoting books for Christmas? Uh, If you have a hockey fan, special hockey fan in your life, uh, Draft Day is a great one. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll talk about the New York Islanders with Thomas Hickey. Maybe we'll get his Draft Day story. Uh, Thomas Hickey, analyst for the Islanders, joins me next. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Quick trade to uh, to share with you. The Pittsburgh Penguins picking up defenseman Jack Rathbone uh, and Karel Plasek from the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Mark Friedman. Friedman and Rathbone, the same deal. We knew it was faded. Uh, Mark is Elliot Friedman's favorite player. Mark Friedman and Ty Glover uh, going the other way. So the primaries here, Rathbone for Friedman. Pittsburgh, Vancouver. Consummated deal. Okay, uh, Thomas Hickey, uh, Islanders analyst, joins me now. Uh, first of all, Thomas, how are you? Uh, Want to get into the New York Islanders with you here in a couple of seconds. They'll play against the Arizona Coyotes later on tonight. But just coming off a conversation with Doug McLean, who's written a new book called Draft Day. And there's a lot of great draft stories uh, involved in this one. And I remember your draft specifically. Um, that was in Columbus. Uh, Patrick Kane goes first overall. You went fourth to the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, I remember thinking at, at that time that, you know, after Kane, Van Riemsdyk, and I guess tourists to Arizona, it was going to be jump ball to see which way Los Angeles went. Did you have an idea you were going to Dean Lombardi at four? No, I had no idea. They were they were so secretive, and I think that that was their plan all along. And um, I, I think that draft in particular, like no one really knew who was going to go after those three. And and I think for the Kings, they wanted to be secretive, see if you know maybe they could uh, whether it would be getting me or getting someone else moving down. So they didn't say anything. It was very cryptic. And I was I was about to go to the washroom. Um, like after the third pick, like I really had to go. We'd been doing so much stuff throughout the day. My, and I was like about to get up. My agent said, Hey, just wait till the next pick's done and then go just, just in case. Right. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, so I, I was shocked when my name was called, but uh, it was, it was a great moment, you know, families there um, and, and a day you'll never sure. forget. So that was, that was awesome. So you had to, I don't know, that must have, did you do like a, a quick walk up to the stage? Let's get this over with. I have to go have a squirt here. Let's get, let's get a move on. How was it making that no, walk to the stage? You know what? I, I had to go bad. And as soon as that was called, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I got to go to the washroom for probably, probably two or three hours. You're taking photos, you're meeting people, you're doing so much. And the, yeah. the feeling subsided. I didn't have to go. You know, one of those moments that it just sort of stuck <laughs> in and, and numbs you up. I remember that one. I'm going to get on one last draft uh, story here. I mean, that year, the two top defensemen in the Western Hockey League, yourself, draft eligibles, yourself and Carl Alsner uh, of the Calgary Hitmen. Alsner goes fifth to the Washington Capitals. All season long, were you measuring yourself up against Alsner? Uh, yes and no. Uh, and I'd known Carl a little bit and like, he was, you know, it was different because Carl was like, he was like a man, you know, he was, he was a year older 
but seemed like a guy that was so much more matured and his game was so much different than mine. And being in Calgary, mm-hmm. me being in Seattle, sounds like it's close, but you only see each other twice a year. So there's no yeah. doubt back then, like I'm checking box scores to see how he's doing at the same time. It's like, okay, well, if you want <laughs> Carl Alter, you might not want me because we're, although we, you know, are similar enough, we were different enough players, but yeah, it was, it was definitely competitive. I, I always had my eyes on other draft eligible defensemen and that was always a measuring stick. Okay, so you're watching Keaton Ellerby is essentially what you're telling me here. I got to keep an eyeball on Wallace, and I got to watch Keaton, Keaton Ellerby, Ellerby here. You know, be the first. <laughs> yeah, Ty Wishart the year before, uh, and then there's Alsner, and you know anyone in the league that had been drafted high, or you heard their name about, uh, you know, being in your draft class. That was that was someone you wanted to play well yeah. against. It's good stuff. Um, okay, uh, Islanders. Uh, this was. An off season that I think a lot of people were sort of left puzzled about. That we thought that there this might be the season where you know the off season where Lamarillo jumps into action to to redo a, a certain portion uh, of his team. Uh, we certainly saw extensions. Um, I think a lot of us were surprised that the extensions were announced as early as they were, and that uh, Lou didn't leave them in the uh, leave them in the cupboard until September. Um, so that was maybe a surprise, but maybe the, the, the biggest surprise for everybody was there wasn't a whole lot of action from the general manager. How did you see the off season for the Islanders? Yeah. I, as we, where we stand now, and I guess we'll, let's go like before the season started to training camp. I think the, the team around the organization, there was a belief that, you know, why do we need to add anything? We're going to, we're going to have Bo Horvat for an entire season and Pierre Engvall fit in really nicely and now we've got depth and Matt Barzell is going to be really good on the wing and and we've got nice balance in our lineup we don't need anyone we've got great goaltending so there was the belief there Um, I think there's fair skepticism from everyone else on the outside saying look everyone else added pieces and everyone else got better is it fair to look at the guys that you have on hand and say they're going to be our upgrade because we just believe they're going to be better Um, that's what mm. Lou Lamorello believes, and he doesn't care what other people think, and and he believes in his group. Oh, yeah. So this year is the test for them, and uh, they didn't add anyone new, and, and there's a belief with this team that they have the pieces that, that are going to be required. So that's why it was great to see the opening night, to see what would happen. I think everyone was anticipating, waiting to see if this team was just going to look a year older, a year slower perhaps, or if if it would be like they said, that everyone's going to bring a little bit extra and you can't judge anything after one game. I think the questions still need to be answered, but they looked they looked really good. And the things that they were banking on, like having Horvat and Barzell going and, and having some secondary scoring, not even secondary, primary scoring from, from Brock Nelson, Palmieri, and Engvall, and having some nice depth and balance, and good goaltending, it was yeah. there. So I'm just excited to to continue the season and, and see where they gauge. You know, were they right to do what they did? Yeah, I, I know it's probably wrong to do it, but, you know, for teams like the Islanders, we put so much emphasis and try to draw as many conclusions as possible uh, from the first game. And I would imagine that Islanders fans might have done the same, but going into that first intermission, you know, Nelson and Paul Mary scored 2 nothing. I mean, how much how much did getting there, like the way they got there, I know they squandered the two-goal lead and Sezikis makes the 3-2 and that's the final score, but how much did that sort of let us a little bit of the steam out around the team, taking that first period lead into the first intermission? It was crucial. Like I, I don't, I can't really imagine if you're down two goals or, or even one, or the bigger thing, I think if you go into the first period, we'll even, or sorry, go into the, the first intermission tied 0-0. The questions of can you generate any offense? Is this the same Islanders or is it going to be a little bit better would be there? So I think for them, Brock Nelson around here, Jeff, he's, he, it's called Brocktober. It's not called October. He's so good on yeah, opening night. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good in October. Yeah. And it was, they, they relied on him. He was so good in the first frame. Uh, and from then on, I, I, I think you saw a different team. You saw a bit of some things that crept in from last year where they, they weren't really great in the second period and spent a lot of time in their own end, but but the Islanders are a team that's 
built on battling back and finding a way. And, and it was sort of a textbook win. You got Sezikis, uh, Martin, and Clutterbuck out there when you've just given up a goal to get back in the game, and they end up getting the winner. So uh, I think there was a lot to like, but certainly so much hockey yet to be played. You've, um, your whole life, you've been around high-level athletes, like great athletes, athletes, you know, top of their game in hockey, and I would suspect other sports as well. Um, Anders Lee is a different beast. Like, I get the uh, I get the impression, um, and I've met him a couple of different times and talked to him a couple of times, but you're there every day to see him. I get the impression that no matter what sport, Anders Lee settled on, whether it was, in this case, hockey, or in his case as well, football, and there was a chance for at uh, baseball as well, no matter what he settled on, he was going to play professional sports, whether it's baseball, football, or hockey. Like, he just seems like that athlete who, you know, no matter what he chooses, he's going to be one of the best at it. Agree or disagree? I totally agree. He's, he, you should see the way he's built. You know, naturally doesn't look like your typical oh, yeah. hockey player. It, it works for him, and he, and he uses it to his advantage just with how big and strong he is in front of the net. But watching him throw football, like oftentimes we used to play football, uh, whether it was a warm-up before practice, just throwing it around. And he, he's a quarterback. Like I, I, we, We'd have fun with it because we would watch his YouTube clips of him being like, I think he was Mr. Minnesota one year maybe in, in high school, yeah. just how good he was. I, I Don't quote me on that. It was something on, along the lines of him being such a good football player in a Dyna, and the serious question had to come of what sport are you going to play? And we would have fun yeah. just watching his YouTube videos. It's like, well, do you want to see Anders Lee's compilation of touchdown passes, or do you want to see his runs? And <laughs> he, 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 it just went to show that he was such a good athlete, and I think his true love was, was just hockey, and Islanders fans are, are grateful that that's the sport he ended up picking because I do think he would have been successful in whatever he put his mind to. You know, in Toronto, um, Pierre Engvall was always a hot-button topic. Um, within you know the, the coaching staff, Pierre Engvall was, was a hot-button topic as well. As people try to figure out who is Pierre Engvall, this six-foot-five 225-pound uh, winger, who um, who is Pierre Engvall to you? Like, I think people have a hard time sort of wrapping their minds around what this guy is supposed to do. He has the size and the skill to do a lot of different things. Who is, however, Thomas Hickey, Pierre Engvall? I'm still trying to figure it out because I, I've tried to not have a biased opinion one bit of Pierre Engvall, and when he first got traded here, when I talked to people that had seen a ton of him, there was there was frustration because they saw the potential and they saw the size and they never, ever saw it consistently. When he came here, mm. I thought his first game was great. And his second game to this day, from, from what I've seen when I'm watching him live, was the worst game I've seen him play. And from that point on, he's been a consistent contributor. I didn't know just how quick he was. And what Lane Lambert said, he's put him with, with Brock Nelson, who plays a very fast but responsible game, and Kyle Palmieri, who's, mm-hmm. who bangs a lot, who can go recover pucks. And Pierre Engvall's been an asset to this team. And I, I think a lot of people were rolling their eyes that he could be a guy that's consistent, and he has been his time on the island, especially when Matt Barzell got hurt last year. He was producing and playing with Nelson and Palmieri at a first-line rate, and he was doing it consistently. And now, look, I understand if you're a hockey fan and you see someone with that frame, you're going to want to see physicality. Well, just get that out of your yep. mind with Engvall. Yep. He's, he's not going to use his body like that. But go watch the Islanders' last game, the first goal in the first period. Watch Pierre Engvall hunt that puck down, force a turnover, and the Islanders are up one nothing. Those are the types of things that he's been doing. And a guy that's going to be around here for a long time now. I know consistency's been an issue. I'm excited to see if he can, if this is just the player that he is now, because because he's been good since he came over. Okay, last one for you. Fill in the uh, fill in the blank here, or, or finish this this sentence for me. The New York Islanders will be successful this season if blank happens. If Matt Barzell and Bo Horvat continue to look like they did in preseason and in game one 
the Islanders are going to be okay. Nothing about the power play? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if if the power play is is in the middle of the NHL percentages, it, that will make a big difference. Yeah. But you know what? I think the Horvat and Barzell thing is going to transcend into the power sure. play. Like it just just with having both of them healthy and on the same page, they've they've really changed this team, bringing more speed that they didn't have, and and now having more than just one guy that can control so much play, but not have the results mm-hmm. and points and goals that you'd expect. That's a big factor to me, and I I think that will dip into the power play as well. This has been great, uh, Thomas. Thanks as always for stopping by. You are one of the uh, one of the brightest young hockey broadcasters, stars in the sky. Uh, continued success this season with the Islanders, and we'll check back regular. Thanks so much for doing this today, as always. I appreciate it, Jeff. Take care. There he is, Thomas Hickey, uh, sharing a draft story or two. Uh, can you imagine holding the squirt for two hours when you're getting drafted by the Los Angeles Kings? Oh, Mr. Lombardi, I've got to go to the washroom. Sit down, kid. Take more pictures. Put on this Kings jersey. Um, thanks to Thomas Hickey for stopping by. Thanks to all of our guests for stopping by. Doug McLean was tremendous. No surprise. Uh, talking about his new book, Draft Day. Uh, Doug McLean wrote this one with Scott Morrison. Uh, I remember Scott talking to me about this uh, two years ago. Uh, when they started putting it together. Some great draft stories in this one. For those of you who can't get enough draft stories, and that's a sweet spot of the bat for me too. That's why I was looking forward to this one. Uh, this book is right up your alley, Draft Day by by Doug McClain. Uh, also, thanks to Elliot Friedman for stopping by and uh, sharpening the pencil on a couple of different things, most notably the future of the Pride Tape in the, uh, the NHL. That is still a story that continues. Uh, Jonathan Davis from uh, West Coast Hockey, of course, host of the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast uh, for stopping by to talk about the Los Angeles Kings and Pierre-Luc Dubois specifically. Uh, Tonight, it is the return of Pierre-Luc Dubois to Winnipeg as the Los Angeles Kings look for their first win of the season against the 1-1 Winnipeg Jets. Uh, One of a number of games to look forward to tonight. Uh, The Vancouver Canucks, they don't have the Oilers to beat up on anymore. Uh, they'll face off tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers. Look uh, look forward to that one. Nice accommodation for baseball. 6 o'clock Eastern start time uh, with that one. The Minnesota Wild face off against the Montreal Canadiens. As Mike Russo points out, special in this one, if you're flipping around early, make sure you park a little bit of time. This is a special night for Marc-Andre Fleury. Perhaps, and by perhaps I mean as close to for sure as possible, uh, the last time that Marc-Andre Fleury plays in Montreal. Mike Russo reporting he has a dozen, or maybe two dozen, friends and family in attendance tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. I uh, mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois facing off against the Jets with the Los Angeles Kings. It is the Oilers and the Preds, and then late is the Avalanche and Kraken revenge game there and the Stars and the Golden the Knights. That might be the game of the night. That one looks dynamite, so... Get prepared to stay up late tonight for some great hockey action. Thanks for everyone here on the program. David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick as well. Merrick Show returns in 22 hours. Conduct yourselves accordingly.